everyone. Welcome back to Not Another Wellness Podcast. I'm stoked that you're here because if you're listening to this, it means, well, most likely that you read the title and that sparked some curiosity or interest for you and that you're interested in learning more about the postpartum period. I found for me, and the reason I wanted to do this episode was that I prepared so much for the birth of my baby, but had no idea what was waiting for me on the other side once my baby was actually here. And it really knocked me off my horse or whatever that expression is. It totally threw me for a loop. And luckily for me, I was reached out to by one of the psychotherapy interns from the postpartum wellness center of Boulder and was able to set up therapy sessions, um, and talk about some of my experiences with with this person and just know that there was this wellness center dedicated to helping moms in all different kinds of ways to process their birth to lactation and sleep work. There's a naturopath who works for them on and on. So I just feel really lucky for that. Anyway, so I emailed Kate. Kate Kripke is the founding director and senior supervising psychotherapist at the Postpartum Wellness Center in Boulder, and she's been helping individuals and families in periods of transition like postpartum for the past 20 years. So in this episode, we talk about what the postpartum period even means, what the perinatal period is, and how brain chemistry and stressors on mom after she has a baby is all these things are basically a super, um, a super, a perfect storm that can throw her for a loop and lead to things like perinatal mood disorders and just uh, a feeling of isolation and loneliness if we don't set ourselves up for success when it comes to um, postpartum care and support and what that should look like. And she just breaks it down. Like, why is this a phase of life, a transition for women that can be difficult and just normalizing the fact that most women will struggle in some way, shape or form with the whole, you know, bringing a baby into the world thing. And for me, I know I definitely did. So we got to talk about all that. Kate is just wonderful. You're going to love her. She knows so much about this. So she was really the best person to talk to. And she even has a book coming out next month. This is airing in August. So in September, she has a book coming out called Reinventing Supermom, Encouragement and Support Strategies for New Mothers Who Feel Lost. And I can't wait to get my hands on it. So without any further ado, I am so stoked to introduce to you Kate Kripke and our lovely conversation about postpartum. All right. And we are here on Not Another Wellness Podcast. And I'm here with Kate Kripke. Hi, Kate. Hi, Natalie. Thank you for being here. I'm so excited to talk about all things postpartum with you. Um, But to jump into it, I'd love to know if there's anything that you've done recently, like bucket list item type of thing, something that happened this summer that was really fun that you'd want to share. Oh, my goodness. Um, Let me think for a minute. Well, I think the 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 biggest bucket list thing is that I'm my my first book is about to come out. So I completed a book this summer, which is being launched next month. Wow, that's a bucket list. That's a huge bucket that's list. A big thing. bucket list. I mean, I don't know that that has the quality of adventure and fun and play of some of the other things I could think of, but um, that definitely has been on my yeah. list for a long time. That's so awesome. maybe I'll just go with that. So when can we expect that to be out? So probably mid-September, late September. I'll let you know. You can cool. come to my book launch party. Yes. Gosh, I would love to. <laughs> um, and so the reason you came to mind when I was thinking about people to talk about postpartum is obviously you're the founder of the Postpartum Wellness Center here in Boulder. We're actually sitting, which is so beautiful. Um, but I wanted to, for people listening, for people like me or who aren't as, um, say, knowledgeable about what to expect, I want to break down what postpartum means, what it is, what it isn't, so that we can just get that out there in another form. Um, so yeah, how would you describe this wonderful period after birth? The postpartum period. Well, I mean, in general, postpartum means from birth through the first 12 months that that baby is on the outside. That is generally <clears throat> what we include when we say postpartum. Perinatal, just to throw in another word for you, is conception through that first year after birth. So perinatal includes prenatal and postpartum, but it's about 12 months of time that we dedicate to that period. 
I actually didn't know the distinguishing anything between from conception for yeah. perinatal. So that was actually really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, and there's some people that say it like never ends. What's your thought on that? Like once you become a mother, you're like always postpartum. I, I actually <laughs> love that so much because I mean, I guess I, I guess I want to say two things about that. One is we use this word interchangeably. We say, oh, I'm postpartum when we mean we're in that first year. And people will say I'm postpartum when they're struggling with depression or anxiety, right? So just saying you're postpartum really just means you are in that period of having just had a baby, right? Yeah, so yeah. so maybe we can pull that apart a little bit while we're talking today. But um, what I sort of love about that is this recognition that once you become a mom, there's so many different things happening. And I am particularly interested right now in changing the narrative around maternal mental health, maternal health and wellness, really, which goes beyond that first 12 months postpartum. But because all those things we need to do to take care of ourselves in our postpartum year actually need to keep continuing on. And if we're not, we're probably going to feel the same way we did after we had a baby, right? right? So yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting. I'm actually realizing as you're saying that, that we use, we throw that word out in so many different ways. Right. It's so true. Cause I've definitely had people say like, are you experiencing postpartum? Yeah. And they're referencing like the mood disorder exactly. or mood disorder potential. Are you, yeah. are you feeling depressed? And I think it usually is even tied to PPD, like yes. postpartum depression yes. more than not. Yes. And you could be postpartum and not have that. So that's good to separate. Wait, so I, I have a question for yeah. you. So, so if someone says, are you feeling postpartum? Like if someone asked you that after you had your baby, what do you think they're asking? What is that? What comes to mind when you think about that word? I think in this one example where someone asked me this, they were thinking, they were thinking of postpartum depression. Are you feeling depressed or like, how is your mental health? Yeah. And not just are you in this period of time, not encompassing all the other things that could happen in postpartum time frame. So I think, and I don't know generally, but I think in that example. Right. So like if I hear that term, are you feeling postpartum? I think, are you feeling uncertain? Are you feeling overwhelmed? Are you feeling maybe a little isolated and lonely? Are you feeling... Um, are you feeling confused? Are you feeling irritated and angry? Are you feeling worried? Right? All these things that actually are totally normal. Right. Those things don't de like necessarily mean there's a diagnosis of depression or anxiety, but they all come with that postpartum period. Yeah. Right. Right. Which I just think is so misunderstood in general. Like this period. And and I, I and for me too, when I was pregnant, my focus was the labor. Yeah. And so I was normal. So worried about it, so anxious about it. I had no no, no support set up for postpartum. Yes. I just was like, I'll figure it out. Everyone figures it out. I'll just figure it out. Right. And what was so great was that because of the postpartum wellness center, six mm. weeks later, I got a phone call from someone saying, how are you actually doing? Totally. And on that call, I was like, I think I'm fine. You know, I was like, I'm fine. I've got this. But then a couple months later, I was like, actually, I know that that resource was there. And like, it opened the door for me to realize that there's so much more than just being fine. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I maybe I'm jumping the gun on a question at some point, but <clears throat> the way I talk about this is that if a mom is not well enough supported biologically, psychologically, and socially, she will develop symptoms of depression or anxiety. It's not she may, mm -hmm. it's she will, right? And so we do, when we don't think ahead about our postpartum experience, right? When our mm -hmm. thinking stops at birth and we don't plan for those biological, psychological, and social supports, we're likely to not have access to them mm -hmm. because it's probably going to look different than before you had a baby, right? Yeah. So that's sort of a setup, isn't it? For, you know, we're not, we're not always taught to think about those things and then we get slammed mm -hmm. and we're like, oh, wait, what does my sleep and social support and help with the baby and access to friends and time yeah. outside. What does that look like when I'm a new mom? We haven't thought about those things. No. And I remember my pediatrician asking, do you have friends here? <laughs> that was like the only question we really got besides yeah. the mental health screening. And later I was thinking like, why did he ask me that? Or do you have support? And yeah. we we're like, I guess, I mean, it's the middle of the pandemic. Oh my God. So 
we're not really going to see anyone. Our family's not coming. Um, But I guess we have some friends. They don't have kids though. You know, it was like such a interesting, like I get why that's so important now. But at the time I was like, why is he asking me that? Um, So I just think it's, it's just interesting. And I want to talk about like from the biological perspective, like what happens to a woman after she gives a baby, after she gets, after she has a baby Uh that sets her up for these, this change and the potential possibility. Well, they need support, but the potential possibility of needing like more support, like mental health care. That's a great question. So really what we know, you know, people are studying this question all the time and there's certainly, there's not like a, a very clear, certain cause of postpartum mood disorders like postpartum Mm -hmm. depression or anxiety. But what we know is that within about 24 hours of delivering a baby, estrogen and progesterone drop to significantly below pre-pregnancy levels. So within 24 hours, and a number of studies that I read said it dropped to 200 times below pre-pregnancy levels within 24 hours of childbirth, whether that's a C-section or a vaginal birth right? Mm-hmm. So what that means is that a new mom's hormones have shifted. Estrogen and progesterone directly impact serotonin in our brains, right? Especially estrogen and serotonin kind of work together. Once a month, we see a shift in estrogen and a shift in brain chemistry and mood, right? Three biggest times this happens in a, in a female's life is, um, puberty, childbearing, and menopause. And those are the three times that rates of depression and anxiety skyrocket, right? So you've had this baby, your estrogen and progesterone drop, your serotonin, your brain chemistry gets sort of out of balance and untethered. It takes about two to three weeks for a, um, what I'll use for the purpose of our talk today is a resilient brain, like a healthy, resilient brain. It takes about two to three weeks to find a new way of balancing with the reduced um, hormones mm-hmm. takes a while for them to increase back up. Baby blues, do you remember that? Oh, right. So that's that roller coaster, like dizzying emotions. One <laughs> one emotion, one moment, another emotion. That's actually a very normal brain chemis- chemical and hormonal response to childbirth. Mm. But about one in five moms, if not more, will continue to have a vulnerable brain chemistry following those two to three weeks. And you take that vulnerable brain chemistry and you look at all of the other biological, psychological, and social stressors. We can talk through some of those if you want. And what we know is that brain is simply less resilient to those stressors, right? So if you have a, a vulnerable brain chemistry and all of these stressors that occur that the brain can't actually, um, you know, uh, what's the word I want to use? Metabolize or yeah. or or process. work process yeah. or work through. You're going to find symptoms of depression or anxiety, right? So prevention and support and treatment looks mm-hmm. like limiting the risk factors. Right. That's what we're talking about, right? So if if we're talking about biological, you know, stressors, we're talking about like recovery, your your physical recovery from childbirth, whether it's a vaginal birth or a C-section. We're talking about the stress in your system if you're breastfeeding and producing breast milk or the psychological stress if for some reason that's hard, which happens for so many women, right? Or the pain of breastfeeding, right? We're talking about reduced sleep. We're talking about nutrient depletion, Mm -hmm. right? We're talking about, um, you know, the shift in identity that happens when you're a new mom. And if you're a new mom, you you are automatically going to think about what it was like for you to be raised by your mother. And whether that was amazing or terrible, that memory is going to pull up, is going to be a stressor for you, right? You have the psychological stressors around, you know, competence, having a sense of like needing control, needing to expect things, all or nothing thinking, catastrophic thinking, shoulds, right? Those are all psychological stressors. And then the social stressors, you have a baby during a pandemic, right? You're navigating this need for isolation at a time when you're supposed to be surrounded by people, right? So we just named a few here, but again, think about if you're that one in five women who continues to have that vulnerable brain chemistry following the two to three works, weeks following childbirth, and you're trying to navigate all those stressors, no wonder. It's 
but it's like it a just sounds impo- it's like a perfect turn it sounds yeah. impossible and like my heart <laughs> just like just explaining it in that way to say like here's why you're set up I know. literally to like not fail I don't want to use the word fail but like you're set up to have a really intense time with this and so it's not you're not doing anything wrong nope. you're not wired wrong you're not a bad mother you're nope. not you mean you might not have the right support for sure, but like all these things is just so validating to hear it broken down that way. Yeah. 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 It's not the mom who's making herself sick. It's the systems that are making her sick. I mean, I feel so strongly about that. We do not have good systems for health, for maternal health. It's not set up that way. And then we have, you know, we come from a society where we we prize individuality and, you know, success and hard work. And, and like those things actually don't work when you have a new baby. No. <laughs> right. So it's a setup. It's right. just a setup. It's one of the things I've learned way like past actually going through this is reading about some of the ways other cultures handle the postpartum period. And I feel like that's a good thing to just like highlight per second, like yeah. what it can look like. And then obviously what it should look like. And if you found, um, any culture in particular, like a blend of things that you would say would be like such an appropriate approach to supporting a mother in this time and and the father, of course. You know, I think if we go back to that statement I made that really moms who are well supported biologically, psychologically, and socially, you know, I'm going to use the term do better. And all I mean by that is that they have less symptoms of depression or anxiety that they, you know, have to move through postpartum. You know, we really look at what are the different cultures or what are the different systems that embed those things already, right? So the social one is the most obvious one to think about, right? There are societies where inherently the mother is cared for, after a baby is born. That mom is not expected to go back to work within four weeks or six weeks, right? There are people in many societies, often family members, who care for the mom so that the mom can care for the baby, right? Mm -hmm. That is hugely preventative for some of the more challenging symptoms that, that many of our moms or moms in other kind of, I don't know, let me say Western culture for whatever, whatever that, you know, that sort of nutshell Right. Um, and I think that's why, by the way, doulas are so can help prevent, um, depression, and anxiety because a birth and postpartum doula's job is really to care for the mom so that the mom's focus can be on the baby. Right. Right. So, um, so I think that's really important to think about. I also do think there's this way in which we as mothers take such good care of ourselves for nine months plus, give or take, right? Like we really take care of ourselves. We eat the right food and we don't stress our bodies and we slow down and we get foot rubs and we cut to the front of the bathroom line, yes, right? I would say everyone else does it right in a way. Like people hold the door for you when you're pregnant. People right? are like, sit down. That's right. Yeah. And then when the baby is born, who do, who do we take care of? All about the baby. The baby. And suddenly this idea of continuing to take care of our biological needs is quote unquote selfish, right? So, you know, it's just, again, it's sort of a setup here. I know I don't, I don't want to be too dramatic with that. There's lots of ways that lots of communities, you know, here, meaning in the United States have, have worked to support moms better. And there's lots of, you know, way to get paid support and help here, but that leaves out a whole population of people, of course. So I think there is just this expectation on mothers here that really creates a roadblock to that biological, psychological, and social support that we just know every new mom needs. Mm-hmm. And I'll actually mention, just because it's worth saying, when I say new mom and we talk about postpartum, I'm not just talking about birth moms, right? This is the same for adoptive moms. Mm-hmm. We actually know that non-birth parents, so fathers and non-birth mothers, the, the rates of postpartum depression or anxiety is 10%, one in 10. So it's not the one in five that we look at when we think about birth mothers, but it's high, right? And again, I don't know, I'm sort of get kind of my sense, and I'm not the scientist, is that a lot of that has to do with the isolation and the way in which we're not thinking bigger picture around what folks need to be healthy Mm -hmm. so that they can care for their babies. Yeah. Yeah. And I think about like 
the opportunity that society has when say there's like a baby shower. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I like now can't go to baby showers and not think about this, but yeah. I just think about how it's like, we're like throwing a party for the new mom and we're giving her clothing and like things. And it's like, here, you're going to use all this, to your baby, like good luck. It's going to be wonderful. And we kind of miss the opportunity to pass on like wisdom or tips or I don't know, just like a real idea of what she's walking into. It's not just about like the cute outfits or like, do you have all this stuff? I like really just didn't, after I had my baby, I was like, what was the point of that baby shower? Like that could have been something more, like more like a rite of passage type of thing. Instead, it was just like, here's some crap. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. know, What are your thoughts on that? Well, I have, I have a couple of thoughts and I assume you can edit this out if you need to, but you know, we do have a great baby shower gift on our website at the postpartum wellness center and it's, and it's wraparound care for a new mom. It's three months of wraparound care, biopsychosocial care. So anyway, just a little plug. So the real gift, you you, you you can get rid of that if you want. Um, here's my, here's what this brings up for me is that, um, really what we are giving those moms when we give the warm fuzzy blanket or the fancy stroller or the whatever that gift is, is a feeling, right? There's a sense that, oh, when you have this fancy stroller or this blanket, you're going to feel something prepared, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Comforted, comforted, Mm -hmm. right? You know, um, competent, whatever that thing is, right? We're not giving the object. True. We're giving a feeling. Mm-hmm. We assume that the object's going to bring the feeling. Yeah. That's going to turn itself over every single time. <laughs> Whether we're talking about motherhood or just general mental health, right? Is that things don't actually give us feelings, right? No. The feelings come from inside us, not outside of us, not because of the blanket or the stroller or the fancy outfit or whatever it is, right? Yeah. And then the question is, ah, what do we need in order to feel those feelings? Mm-hmm. And the answer is health mm-hmm. and wellness every time. So, you know, that's a little deep and comes from someone who's been a mental health professional for 20 years, right? But I do think that's the cycle of dilemma, right? Is that a new mom has all these beautiful gifts and she thinks now I'm prepared. Now I'm ready. I'm so excited now. And then she doesn't have that experience and she thinks what's wrong with me. I have all the right shit. Excuse me. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's where, that's where the cycle. There's like a good intent behind it. By the way, I'm I'm for, I am for beautiful soft blankets. So I'm not suggesting that's a bad thing, but you're right. It's sort of like, we're missing a little bit of the point. And the thing that like, I took from like my baby shower because I want to say like it was wonderful to know yes. it, it's so expensive yes, to get all the things. Of course. And then when I had my baby and I was really struggling, I would remember the person who gave each object and kind of imagine that they were like supporting me because no one was actually there. But so in a way, like I think that's the beautiful side of it that I wanted to acknowledge that. And I think that's what baby showers are. They're offering of community and support. And what I love about your example is that for you, it actually wasn't about the blanket or the rattle or whatever it was. It was about the person Mm -hmm. who gave you that thing. And that's what we need to feel healthy in new motherhood is we need to feel supported. So that's kind of awesome. Yeah. I don't know. Things that keep me up at night. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So we touched on briefly, like, the perinatal mood disorders and what they are. And I would say the most common one that people might think of is postpartum depression. Um, And you touched on why that might come up, which is really helpful. But there are other ones that can come into play. One that um, came along for me was um, intrusive thoughts, for example. So I want to like cover the things that are normal and then like what you can do about them (laughs) because you're not just stuck, you know, with that feeling of, whatever you're feeling. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. It's funny. We keep using this term postpartum depression. And I think the problem with that is that many moms who struggle postpartum don't feel depressed, right? They feel anxious. And Mm -hmm. and actually when we really look at the symptoms of a true postpartum depression versus a generalized, you know, major depressive disorder that 
another adult might feel is that postpartum depression is what we call an anxious depression or an agitated depression. So we don't often get Mm. that, um, that picture of the really depressed mom who is, has those pure depressive symptoms like low energy, tearfulness, inability to get out of bed, um, hard time making decisions, right? All of those like low, heavy symptoms of a depression, a postpartum depression mom might have, but she'll also be agitated, right? So it's a little different than a major depression, depressive disorder. Um, postpartum anxiety is another postpartum mood disorder. And again, I'm going to keep using the word postpartum because that's where my brain goes, but it's important to know that these can start during pregnancy. So that's why we call it perinatal, perinatal mood, mood and anxiety discourse. Right. And it's mood and anxiety. So we don't miss that piece that you just talked about, which is the intrusive thoughts. And we'll talk about that in a moment, but postpartum anxiety is sort of that chronic anxious feeling of worry that doesn't go away with reassurance, Mm -hmm. right? So in, in the mental health field, we talk about how the difference between productive anxiety and unproductive anxiety. Productive anxiety is the anxiety that's going to motivate you to yell at your toddler when he starts going by this to, to the edge of the road, right? The anxiety motivates us to do something important, right? Unproductive anxiety is the anxiety that comes when even after that incident happens, you keep imagining your kid running into the road and there's no, there's not, there's nothing productive to do with that anxiety, right? That's really important to distinguish. Right. The replaying, like, especially in the middle of the night, I feel like that comes up a lot for Yeah, that's right. And the reason it doesn't go away with reassurance is because it's that worry or anxiety is actually not based in anything tangible or real, right? Because someone might say, let's just use this example. Someone might say to you, you know what? The cars on the street, they know it's a, it's a, you know, it's a family neighborhood. The cars on the street would notice it's, it's very unlikely that your kiddo is going to get hit by a car. But your spinning anxiety about him getting hit by a car has nothing to do with that very realistic piece of information, right? So the thoughts spin and spin and spin, and no matter what someone says to you, you're still feeling anxious. And that's a really, that's sort of what stereotypical postpartum anxiety looks like. And this can, when someone's pregnant, this can happen about worrying about their fetus and the health of their fetus, Mm -hmm. right? We can't see in there right? When they're postpartum, it might be about how much is my baby eating? Is he or she gaining weight? Is he or she, is there something wrong with his or her brain that I don't know yet? Right? Might he or she, something happen during the night when they're, these things that- Are they breathing? Are they breathing? And of course, when we get older and they're toddler, it's like a beginning to put something in their mouth. I mean, think about it. I'm getting anxious just mm-hmm. talking about mm-hmm. it. Like there's so much uncertainty, right? Postpartum anxiety really it's sort of the state of not being able to turn that anxiety off. So those moms with postpartum anxiety are living with just a heightened level of stress, sort of chronic heightened stress response that doesn't go away. That's exhausting for a body, by the way. It's also really distracting because you could be sitting at dinner with your partner. Finally, you get a night out and you're like, oh, we finally get to be away from the baby. And all you can think about are your fears, right? So it's really, postpartum anxiety is actually something I think we work with most here. Um, It's very, very common and I think can be quite debilitating for folks. Postpartum OCD includes that symptom that you just described of intrusive ruminating thoughts. And postpartum OCD is a type of anxiety disorder, most common for women who have a prior OCD diagnosis or who have kind of obsessive compulsive thoughts or tendencies even before becoming pregnant. And one of the um, kind of the, the sort of telltale symptom of that is just like what you said. It's sort of ruminating scary thoughts. Mm-hmm. And what makes this diagnosis pretty confusing and scary for new moms is it's often the mom imagining, a mom be, imagining herself to be the one that's causing the harm. Exactly. Right. And talk about something that thinks 
you think you're crazy when you're having these thoughts. That's right. Yes. That's right. So it's the mom who imagines herself dropping her baby down the stairs, Mm -hmm. right, is a pretty typical one. And there are lots of others. But what's really important to know about postpartum OCD, right, when you say, you know, you think you're going crazy, you're actually saying, I think I might be psychotic, right? right? Yeah. But OCD has a huge amount of anxiety with it. And these moms, like you, it sounds like maybe, mm-hmm. and me, when my 15-year-old was a baby, I had very significant postpartum anxiety and OCD. There's so much anxiety that comes with the thinking and the thoughts that we actually do everything in our power to make sure we don't hurt our babies. We don't carry the babies down the stairs, for example, right? So it can feel crazy, but I do want to remind listeners that the anxiety along with that is what lets us in the field know that you're not going to do anything to hurt your baby. Right. Yeah. And it, right. Because of course that's like the ultimate, that thought feels so contradictory when that's right. All you can think about is keeping your baby alive and feeding them. And you kind of like start to obsess over it. Are they eating enough and sleeping well? And then it's like, why would I ever harm my child? Or why would I do something to put them in danger when my whole world is now about keeping this baby alive? We call that... In, in the mental health world, we call that ego dystonic. Those thoughts go against how you think of yourself. Mm. And that's good, right? When we know these thoughts are odd or wrong or don't make sense, that's good, right? That's very different than postpartum psychosis, which you know we can just jump into for a moment, which is the least common of the mood disorders. Really um, very uncommon for someone that doesn't have a prior history of psychosis or who um, doesn't have an untreated bipolar disorder. Those are the two biggest risk factors for postpartum psychosis. Those moms may have intrusive, scary thoughts, but they those moms don't necessarily understand that those thoughts don't make sense. So there's not much anxiety that comes along with that thinking. That's the biggest difference. Okay. Does that make sense? That's helpful. And I think even just for me, it was so helpful to hear that this, especially the the OCD side of things. Like when you, when you do recognize that these thoughts are not like you, yes, that, that you're, there is nothing wrong with you still. Like you're, I mean, obviously it's hard to say, like, it's hard to find the words in this. Um, like, I don't want to use the word crazy and I realize I just did, That's but okay. like the, it's, um, what am I trying to say? When you realize that and you realize that other people are experiencing that too, yes. it takes that power That's away. Right. And then even more so makes you realize, okay, something might not be quite right. That's right. We want the both and, right? We want to say, okay, I need some support because that is a really unpleasant way to go through early motherhood, right? right? And it's distracting. Those thoughts are distracting. So getting support is really helpful, but you just said something just to leave your listeners with a little tip is the moment you name that thing as a thought is the moment you're separating yourself from it. And just because we have a thought doesn't mean that that thing is true. right? And it's just a thought. Now I say just with quotes, of course, it's a painful, scary thought, but it's just a thought, right? And so we, that's how we begin the process of treatment is just to help people separate themselves from the thought. One other mood disorder I'll just mention, because I think it's worth um, just naming here is postpartum post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, which is most common for women who have a prior trauma history before giving birth or who perceive their births to have been traumatic. And just a little note about that is that you can have a mom who has a emergency unplanned C-section. And if that mama comes out of that birth, having felt empowered and supported and heard and cared for during that birth, she can come out of that emergency C-section feeling um, like empowered, again, feeling really, really um, positive about her birth experience. You can have a mom who comes out of a non-intervention birth, right? That sort of textbook natural birth. And if she didn't feel supported and heard and cared for during that birth, she can come out of that with PTSD. So it's not the logistics of the birth that can put someone in that situation. It's how she perceives her birth. Very important distinction to make. That's a point. And that kind of leads me to the, like what you can do about all this because, um, and probably maybe a reason why you founded the postpartum wellness center, but I'll let you tell, yeah. tell more about that. But so say 
someone listening is going, you know, like think there's work to be done or like maybe I need some more support. What can that look like? Yeah, that's such a good question. I mean, I think the first step is always just going to be that, right? Putting a voice to that, you know? Something doesn't feel right. The question I'm always going to ask everyone, the first question I always ask everyone is, are you worried about how you feel? Because that's really what we're talking about here, right? My level of distress tolerance and what I'm used to, how much anxiety I'm used to feeling, knowing myself in my life, may be very different than for you, right? So it's less about on paper what's happening and more about how do I feel about what's happening? And when we diagnose depression and anxiety, whether it's in the postpartum period or not, we're really looking at length of time, duration, and severity. And by severity, we mean how much are those symptoms or feelings getting in the way of you living your life the way you want to and need to, right? And I would say that if anyone is having any thought that it's getting in the way, we say, great, you just did the first step. Sometimes that is the hardest part because we like still in 2022, we throw all this like rainbow and unicorns at this idea of being a new parent. We're like, you're going to be, to be the happiest time of your life. And that's actually not true for everybody, even if they don't have postpartum depression or anxiety. So I think just being able to say, I'm struggling and I'd like some support is super important. I think that that person could go back to their OB or midwife, a pediatrician, um, a therapist, or, you know, there, there is a, you know, I think there is a way in which if a new mom, man, this is too general of a statement, but I'll say it anyway. If a new mom goes to a therapist that's not trained specifically in perinatal mental health, they could be misguided a bit about what they're experiencing. And I think a big part of support and treatment is actually validating and normalizing. Just like you said, it's like when you know you're not the only one going through that, it's like you relate to the thing differently. The thing becomes a little less scary. So part of that support and treatment is just being held within the context of someone really understanding what's happening and being able to normalize. As we started with today, what a perfect storm. I mean, you know, we say one in five, by the way, but that's only the mothers raising their hands. Right. So it's probably much higher. Yeah. I just when you were talking about how, um, we support the more, we are more likely to support the woman pregnant Mm -hmm. and open the door for them and tell them to rest until the baby comes. And then it's like, it felt like for me when the baby was born, it was like, okay, now get your body back and go back to work and do all these things. And it's like, it, the the tables kind of (laughs) turned in a way it was like, yes, now you're, it's like, there was like a meme or something like the pregnant belly is honored until the baby's born and then it it's shamed yes and like that wow that's powerful yeah it's like oh cute oh not cute anymore wow even though it's the same body you know and then I love when people are like that pressure to get your body back like my body didn't go anywhere thank you my body just birthed a human that's right so there's no going back that's right there's just carrying on that's right (laughs) um but I think that trips people up Like I just, for me, like it just tripped me up, that distinction, the feeling, the difference of like the shame around my body compared to before and then the pressure to be, I thought this was going to be glowy and beautiful. I thought when I met my baby for the first time, I was going to feel euphoria or I thought um, I would feel like a natural instinct with nursing, which is a podcast I want to do at another time. That's like a whole rabbit hole too. Um, Just getting tripped up with the way you think it's supposed to be and I just like, that is like my goal for this is just to share that like they're supposed to be or whatever Instagram picture or someone's experience is just so like, that could be so, it could be so narrow and it could be so many other things. All of them can be normal. (laughs) Not only that, but I think one of the, um, most prevalent risk factors, dare I say, causes of postpartum depression or anxiety is missed expectations. And there's a difference between a hope and an expectation. We talk about this all the time. When we hope for something and it doesn't happen, we feel disappointed, right? But when we, when we expect something and it doesn't happen along with disappointment, we feel shame and judgment and rage and resentment, all these really complicated feelings right? So even the way you just described that, right? 
oh, I've been fit my whole life. Of course I'm going to get my body back, right? I've wanted a baby forever. In fact, I tried for years and years and years. I finally got this baby. Of course I'm going to love it, right? All these, oh my gosh, I've breastfeeding. My body's always worked for me. Yeah, of course I'm going to breastfeed, right? All of these expectations, we need to shift into a hope category because we have no idea. And I actually might remind you and me and everybody that Without a doubt, in my mind as a clinician, the biggest cause of depression and anxiety is um, an intolerance or an inability or unwillingness to sit with uncertainty and discomfort and unpredictability. There is no new motherhood without uncertainty, discomfort, and unpredictability. They come hand in hand. So if we're entering motherhood and we've never been taught that uncertainty is okay, right? Or unpredictability is okay, or discomfort is okay. We're going to have a reaction to those things. And it's probably not the thing itself that's where the depression and anxiety is. It's our reaction to those things, right? So, you know, I'm often talking to folks and, and gosh, I mean, I'm not immune to this either. I have to practice this every day and my kids are 13 and 15, right? But what is it like to literally practice sitting with the realization of uncertainty? This pandemic has brought that to us, right? But if we can tolerate our discomfort, we don't react to it the same way. And those scary ruminating thoughts, you know what the discomfort is? Discomforts, I mean, how, what would you say, if you broke it down to what I'm saying right now, what would you say is causing on a meta place, on a bigger spectrum, causing those scary ruminating thoughts that you had? What do you imagine was causing that? Like what's underneath that? Yeah. Um, I think like just feeling like I wasn't good enough. Good enough. Me. Wasn't good, good enough, enough for what? For motherhood <laughs> or like wasn't capable or was going to epically fail and everyone else is doing it perfectly. Maybe I don't even know if that's it, but that's just well, I, I think what mind. you're saying is you <laughs> worried probably that you weren't good enough to keep your baby alive. Mm-hmm. Right. That failure meant that something happened to your baby. Right. Yeah. And guess what? We are very not in control yeah. of that. Most of the time we do the best we can. Right. We think about, what are the values of my family so that I can raise this kid that sort of might emulate some of these values? What are our safety protocols, right? Where's our level of risk? And even then, the world is unpredictable. And many of us don't know how to sit with that. And I think, at least for myself, the times in my life where I've struggled with clinical depression and anxiety, it's come from there. How do I keep up? How do I get ahead of that? How do I control for that? Right. And we can't, we can't. So this act of having a baby, holy cow, it's like the bravest thing in the world because it's the scariest thing in the world. And then we get to learn through all of these biological, psychological, and social supports, how to make choices that are within our control that lead to, you know, a a sense of okayness, a sense of well-being. Right. Yeah. I remember someone telling me that like, pregnancy, um, and having a baby is the first dipping your toe into not being able to control anything ever again. (laughs) Right. Of course you never have been able to, No, right. but it's like the realization. It's like, oh my God, I can do everything to set my baby up for sleep. And he still doesn't go to sleep. Like it's not the swaddle. No, it's not. It's not, it's not the swaddle, the sound machine, the the blinds on the windows. We've done everything. It's, (laughs) it's that that part is out of our control. Yeah. That has to do with him. And that this baby is completely unique and individual That's from right. you and not a part of you anymore. And he never was. Right. Never was. Like that. I, I think I just came to that realization really recently. So I, yeah. I want to um, just put a little plug in for something if mm-hmm. I can with that or shift a perspective just a little bit. It actually is important to remember that there is a, um, there's co-regulation and a interdependence and an enmeshment between our nervous systems and our baby's nervous systems until they're about three and beyond, right? I got two teenagers. And when I feel agitated, they are annoying as I'll get out, right? But they're feeling it from me, right? So when I look at um, maternal mental health and wellness, 
and when Mari started by saying it goes even beyond postpartum, is that it's really important to, re- to realize that our babies and our children, they actually rely on our nervous systems for them to manage their nervous systems. It's called co-regulation. And because of the development of a small child's brain, little people until about age two or three don't have the brain development to totally self-soothe. They borrow from us. So if we're dysregulated, they they will be dysregulated. And that's when we go back to, oh, self-care is not selfish. You are doing that in service of that kiddo so that you can show up with as much capacity to manage your nervous system as you can. Now we're going to have moments of irritability and we're going to lose our patience and we're going to feel anxious. That's not the, that's not the problem, but are we able, able to regulate when that's happening? Are we capable of turning on our parasympathetic nervous system, which is rest and digest when there's not an actual threat, right? That's mental health. And so I think there's a way in which, yes, of course, your baby came into the world with his own agenda, right? <laughs> he had he had his own agenda or karma or whatever, temperament, whatever you want to call it, right? Yeah. And your mental health and his are intimately connected. But I have I hadn't like thought about it like that before. Interesting. It, it is a re- it's sort of my newest thing right now is we have to start talking about maternal mental health differently. We can't separate it anymore. And, and I think in the most part, I'm going to give everyone the benefit of the doubt. We're all doing the best we can. Sometimes our best isn't good enough because we don't have the support we need, right? Or because we don't have the tools or the education or the strategies or whatever. It's not because we're not good enough. It's that our information, our toolbox isn't good enough, right? And so I think that's where just to sort of come back to your question, that's where support comes in. We can't expect a mom who wasn't taught these things in her own own family of origin to know what to do. We can't expect a mom who is, you know, a single mom and has to go back to work quickly to with no support to to be able to do that well and with health. We can't expect it, right? And so we need to really be rethinking our sim- systems and the way we prep our families into childbirth. Because if we're really thinking about this stuff ahead of time, we're going to be more willing to ask for help and get it early before we're in crisis, right? Or we can, um, you know, yeah, ask all the right questions and get clear about what we need to be healthy and well. And it's harder to to do that when we're struggling than it is when we're not. So let's do that when our mamas are pregnant, right? you know? Like prepare for birth and that's right. uh, Prepare for what can happen after. Yeah. Because you're just set up in a way that like there's something, yeah, it, it needs attention yeah. ahead of time. It needs some forethought. Yeah. And like attention that's like compassionate mm-hmm. and validating and tender and maybe even a little playful. I do think, you know, we tend to, that these topics of postpartum depression, and anxiety are like, can feel big and mean and scary and daunting. And it's like, yeah, you know, we're all invited to the same party, right? We, we, we all come to the table with the same challenges. We may have different preferences and opinions, but we're all, you know, it, it, we can, if we can offer a little lightness and humor to this, it can take away some of the stress and strain that comes when we do ask for help. You know what I mean? Like we're in good company here. We're in good company. It's like one big party. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the other side. It does feel like that. Like once you are on the other side, there's this way you can connect with other mothers that you just kind of tap into something. It, it's really cool. In a well, way. and that's, I love that you're doing this topic because I think the more we talk about it, the more new moms are willing and able to say, yeah, I'm struggling. And, you know, I don't know if you had this experience. I certainly did. But the moment I say I'm struggling is the moment someone else raises their hand from across the room and suddenly I have a new friend, right? Mm -hmm. If none of us talk about it, we're all doing this in isolation, which just sucks. Yeah, there's no fun in that. No, there's no fun in (laughs) that. That's so true. That I've definitely had that experience. And um, yeah, I just like open the door and just say like, look, Water's warm. This is what this is what could be. Yeah. Um, I'd love to know since you touched on the self-care piece. Like yes. obviously you've been you have kids who are teenagers and um have been in the field for a while. Like, what does that look like for you on a daily, weekly, monthly basis? Yeah, it's such a great question. And I will start by saying, <clears throat> you know, I my kids, as I said, are 13 and 15. I had 
quite significant postpartum anxiety after my first daughter was born. Not after my second daughter, but it's important to know that she was a trickier baby in general than my first was, but I had really prepped, right? I'd really thought about what am I going to need, and that made all the difference in the world. Um, and so I guess I'm also saying that because I've been practicing this self-care thing for, you know, going on 15 years, right? And so I, I think sometimes it's easier said than done, and self-care actually isn't necessarily logistical and practical. It's pretty emotional and psychological. Sometimes we get in our own way of accessing those things that we know that we need. But here's what my self-care um, looks like. I am a nine-hour-a-night gal for sleep. My kids are older, so I'm now at the stage where I go to bed before them. Obviously, when I had small children, it was not easy to get nine hours of sleep, but I am in bed. If I'm not in bed by nine o'clock, I start to worry, right? <laughs> so I'm in bed. I'm an avid reader now, so I read just a few pages before bed. It's That's how I sort of turn off my brain. Screen time to watching TV doesn't work for me. If I go to bed after watching TV, I'm actually spinny. So I read, I go to bed. I'm, I'm, I've always prioritized sleep. I think as a mental health provider, we really understand the value of sleep, which again, easier to get when your kids are older. I wake up around six um, and I start my day with some about 15 minutes of some kind of inspiring, spiritual, meaningful reading. So that could be Deepak Chopra or Pema Chodron or do you know there's people mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or um, I just finished Michael Singer's new book, um, which is um, his first book was um, uh, what was his first book? Um, oh, you're going to have to look it I up and put this. it in your show, yeah, show notes I and I'll think of it too, in a moment because yeah. I literally just finished reading yeah. it. But um, The Untethered Soul was his first book. The second book is Living Untethered and I just finished it. It's amazing. So I'll start my day reading something grounding and inspiring. And then with my cup of coffee every morning, and then I sit for about 20 minutes. I have a really regular meditation practice. And, um, and then I get out with the dogs at some point. Sometimes I get to go for a hike. Sometimes I walk, but by, by the three things that really make my day, we have a lot of data that the first 30 minutes of our day actually sets us up for our nervous system the rest of the day. And so I've really taken that seriously. And those 30 minutes ground me. They turn my mindset into a place where I'm, you know, confirmation bias is a real thing. So if I turn my brain on to, you know, hope and abundance and joy and connection and love, I tend to see those things throughout my day. Um, and then sitting, I mean, if I would, I mean, I've been treated for depression and anxiety for most of my life and the, the, by far the thing that has made the biggest difference in my mental health is my meditation practice. I mean, I can't, I cannot underestimate that. I mean, therapy, medicine, all kinds of things. And the, and my capacity, the, what meditation practice has done for me is taught me how to sit with discomfort. And like I said earlier, once I have learned how to do that and I no longer react to uncertainty and discomfort the same way, I am not afraid anymore. So there's my self-care. I also have a really good group of girlfriends that I am really, one thing my husband and I do really well is make sure that we are giving each other space for filling ourselves up. And so I think that social piece is super important. Moving my body, nature. That's a lot of things. And I don't want to overwhelm your listeners because again, you could start with three deep breaths every morning. You could start with standing outside in nature in your backyard for two minutes and feel the sun on your face. So it's not, it's not the quantity of what you do and how much time, it's the quality and intention behind it. So again, that's where I'm at after 15 years of after having to get it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I love that. I love just thinking about like that first 30 minutes of setting you up for the rest of your day. Yeah. Because I can think of times when, you know, my morning started with like social media versus when it started with journaling, whatever it is. That's right. And just the difference that how your what your foundation is, how it changed. Yeah. And again, I was not doing those things when my kids were two and four. So let's be clear. Yeah. Right. I mean, I was doing some of them, but it was like what you five call. minutes of sitting, not 20. You know, it was it was a very different. Um, but I mean, it's so interesting. I'm like, gosh, we are quick to take a pill 
And I'm not against medicine at all, but we're quick to do that. And then we say, ah, oh, I can't meditate. Right. And it's like, once to your point, you're on the other side and you have a practice. Now I want to be like, oh, you have no idea. It's right here in front of you. So maybe that's another podcast topic, <laughs> but, but that's what my self-care looks like. And I'm really, um, adamant about that role. I'm a better mom to my girls when I show up feeling full and happy and healthy and inspired and well, I just parent so differently from that place. Uh, I'm just thinking about what I want to do tomorrow morning. Uh, what are you going to do tomorrow morning? <laughs> well, I was just thinking about how I'm in this habit right now of waking up with my son because yes. he wakes up at like six. Yeah. But the thought of like getting up, I know what time he's going to wake up pretty much. I can get up at least 15 minutes earlier. Yeah. Like that's not going to change anything. And do something for myself and it's just so like valid validating to hear that, like that is important I know I can do that 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 for me is like digestible at least 15 minutes so I'm just thinking about that and um I needed to hear you say meditation because I've really fallen off the train with my son and like kind of noticing that um I have that reactiveness back in me a little bit that I don't love so much so just it's just nice to hear yours Be like okay this is why these things work for people it's worked for you and you can implement that. In some yeah. Shape and, or form. and it's worked for me and there's just so much science behind yeah. it. It's like the research is back and don't take my word for it. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's, but I, but, but it's hard if you're not, it, and it's all momentum, right? If, but again, I would say to you and I would say to anyone here listening, start with three deep breaths every morning. Like the intention behind that is actually going to make a difference, right? There are two great apps. Um, Mindful Mama app. Do you know about that app? It's amazing. It was started by a woman um, named um, Tara LaRock, who is in Denver, and she has um, gifted us with some partnerships with them so so that we know their work well. They're very, very, very... um, she actually had quite significant postpartum depression, anxiety after her baby was born. And so the app is created just for moms. So it's guided mindfulness meditations for moms, and you can put in the age of your kid. So it's catered to what is a typical amount of time and attention for a mom at that age. It's amazing. And then the Calm app is great. And I heard that they just launched or are about to launch a whole series, postpartum and maternal health series under in the com app. I love that. I have the top map. Good. It probably is like undownloaded, but I have it. Yeah. No, that's awesome. I love the, that the mindful mama app is mindful mama too, because too, I think when, if someone had told me you need to sleep nine hours to have good mental health, you know, no, um, which we all know, but like, if someone told me that like a year ago, I'd have been like, ah, no, you, you, you know, so it's nice that like the app takes that into consideration. Totally. Like, here's how much time you might have if you have a one-year-old or if you have a, totally. it's like, but it's just, I feel good on the other side to be like, I know that that it doesn't last forever. It felt like it was going to be the rest of my life. Not forever. And our bodies are resilient. So we learn yeah. to adjust and make do with, you know, whatever I will say, I don't know. I, whole other podcast maybe too, but you, I think in general, we want to make sure we have at least one window of four hours of uninterrupted sleep to prevent sleep deprivation. So that's different than nine hours when I have two teenagers and no one's bothering me. Obviously no one with young kids are getting that. So we want to get those small manageable chunks and that four hour window is a good one to keep in mind. Yeah. I remember that um, being told to me too. And then it was like, that was the game changer. Yeah. Cause it's just something about like how deep your brain can go into that's frustration right. at that time. So that's right. four hours minimum That's right. <laughs> consecutive, your partner is going to help you with that's that right. one. That's right. Um, and the last thing, so we've like a, about five more minutes. Yeah. I just want to touch on the postpartum wellness center Boulder because yes. it's a beautiful space that we're in and all the services that you have brought in together. Mm. It's just so wonderful. Thank you. We are a multidisciplinary collaborative care center. So what that means is that the Postpartum Wellness Center focuses on maternal and early family mental health. We have a specialty in perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, right? But that's not just what we do here. Um, and we are staffed by um, a, a, 
a really amazing staff of psychotherapists. Um, we do, we are a training center here. So we train graduate students and postgraduate clinicians. And so through that training program, we're able to offer lower fee therapy. Um, we also do offer, um, in network psychotherapy. Um, one of our clinicians is in network. She fills up pretty quickly, but we work really hard to make sure that we have, we can make access for folks as well as Medicaid. Um, we also have a psychiatric nurse practitioner, um, an acupuncturist and Chinese medicine doc, a lactation consultant, an infant and child sleep specialist, and a naturopathic doctor. And all of those folks make up our wraparound biopsychosocial support team. All of our clinicians, not, not just our mental health providers, but all of our multidisciplinary providers are also trained in perinatal mental health through Postpartum Support International. So it felt really important to me to have a team that even if it wasn't a mental health professional, that they really understood this perinatal period and what's happening for moms psychologically and hormonally and so that our all our non-therapist crew um, could really hold space for all this crazy stuff that happens. Um, and it's, I have to say, we're a powerhouse team. Oh, and I, of course, we actually just have an, I'm sorry to even forget, we just added a birth and postpartum doula um, who also does, um, offers massage. And she is actually our newest addition to our team. And I think one that's been long time coming because she can hold space for those moms in their homes um, in a way that we can't, right? And so really when we're working collaboratively, that just means that we have, we, we are always consulting and collaborating on these cases. We have regular meeting times when we do that so that we can discuss the biopsychosocial needs of those moms and families and make sure that nothing's dropping through the cracks. We also do telehealth so we can now support moms all over the state of Colorado, which is amazing. Okay. That's good to know. Cause I think I know not everybody has a postpartum wellness center in their area. I wish everybody did. Yeah. I wish I had known about you guys sooner in yeah. my experience. So it's just nice that, um, I mean, just even knowing that there's, you could look up and, and make sure you're looking at people that are trained in just understanding yeah. and holding the right space for you. Yeah. I mean, so postpartum support international. So postpartum.net That's is good. an amazing resource. And in that resource in the, in postpartum.net, which is web-based, someone can go in anywhere in the world actually. And there'll be state coordinators that are in there that know who is trained to support, um, moms and families. And I believe they might now actually have a place that lists multidisciplinary providers there as well. So you could sort of create your own support team for sure. I think that, of course, I mean, one of the reasons I created this center is so that no one had to do that themselves, that we already had that, that in place. That said, guarantee there are amazing folks out there that are going to work together on your behalf. And I think that's really what we're looking for. That's so crucial. And I just feel so grateful that you found it in your calling to start Aww. something like this. And thank you. It makes me kind of emotional because it's just, it was so hard for me to yeah. navigate and I have a really supportive partner and all these things, but it was just nice knowing, like getting that phone call totally. <laughs> and being like, how are you doing? It was just such a pat on the back and it opened the door um, for me. And hopefully I want others to find their resources too and know that they're not alone and, and really shouldn't do it this alone. Actually. No, it's, we're not meant to do it alone. I think you got a call from one of our interns because mm -hmm. we're integrated into six OBGYN and midwife clinics where we do those maternal mental yeah. health checks. And sometimes we just need someone to ask, how are we doing? Right. Yeah. And people, people say, how are you? How's your baby? Right. Um, I am really appreciative of your enthusiasm and having me here. And I will just say that I, um, Gosh, we work with amazing women. And I think one of the important things to remember is that if you are struggling postpartum, it has nothing to do with your amazingness, right? I, I sometimes I'm like, God, if all of you clients could meet each other, and we've had some social gatherings here so that we, you know people can do that, but it's like I want to play matchmaker as a therapist because the most amazing women walk in these doors, Right. And we have this idea of who that mom is who has postpartum depression or anxiety. And we've got to debunk that myth because it's you and it's me and it's that other neighbor and it's that doctor and your pediatrician and your kid's preschool teacher. Like it's all of us. 
So, um, it's really moving to have created a space like this and to watch it work and to watch people get the support they need. It's a gift for me, I think, to be a part of this field and work. So wonderful. Oh my gosh. All the things. So yeah, I mean, thank you for what you're doing and where can people find more information about your podcast, your uh, website (laughs) and all of these services? Thanks for that question. So (laughs) pwcboulder.com is the website for the postpartum wellness center. We also have an Instagram handle at at pwcboulder. Um, I am actually taking a lot of my maternal mental health work out of the therapy office right now and into the virtual space. And so you can find out about my coaching and consulting work at Kate Kripke, K-A-T-E-K-R-I-P-K-E. That was a mouthful. com. <laughs> um, we have um, this podcast, uh, which is called Motherhood Uncut. I have teamed up with a dear soul sister friend and also a fellow licensed clinical social worker um, to really bring to the table all the messiness about motherhood. So we are um, bringing our clinical knowledge and what we know about research and data, but also our real life experiences in motherhood and really hoping to bring all that crap that no one wants to talk about out in the open so we can talk about it with humor and tenderness and compassion. Um, we have a Instagram feed at, at motherhood uncut podcast where um, our fifth episode is being released on Wednesday. So that's been really fun. And I have a book coming out. And, and the book. book is and your newsletter, your um, emails are just yes. I like save them every time I get one. If I if it's not a good time to read them, they're just so powerful and touching and like thank you. Real. So you can subscribe <laughs> to those on the website. We also have a um, it's called a Healthy Mom membership where. Um, if people decide to sign up for that and it's, it is not expensive. Um, it's sort of our way of getting people in the door to be thinking about maternal health. Um, and wellness, you can find that on my website, katecrippy.com. And that, um, releases twice a month, um, myself giving a talk on something about maternal mental health and wellness, and then some other expert in women's health, hormones, nutrition, parenting, sex and sexuality. We've had great topics coming in. Um, that's another, opportunity. My book is kind of making myself tired. You have a lot. Thank God I meditate for 30 minutes every morning. (laughs) At least. (laughs) Get nine hours of sleep. Um, The book is called Reinventing Supermom. Okay. I didn't know if you could share the title or not. I can. I I can. We will um, do a launch on our website soon. It's called Reinventing Supermom. And then the subtitle is Encouragement, Support, and Strategies for New Mothers Who Feel Lost. And that is really a lot of really tangible, practical information. I didn't use the term postpartum depression or anxiety in the title because I think that title, people don't resonate with that title, but all of the nuggets in there are, in my personal, very biased opinion, but in my personal opinion, important for every new mom to have. It's really really about prevention and support and what to do if you're struggling so that you don't go down into a deeper place with that struggle. And um, yeah, that's cut should be out in the next six, six weeks. So amazing. Oh my gosh, there's so many things. And just like hearing all that, thank you for giving us this hour. This oh, been, I love talking about this oh stuff. My this is my happy place. We could talk for hours. <laughs> yeah. It's just so helpful for me. I feel like I'm still, I'm still in it really, I feel. And like just thinking about things in a different way. And I'm excited to share this with every new mom I know. Thank you. Them, point them in your direction. Not fine, but yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you. I love being here with you. This has been really fun. Thank you so much for listening to that. I hope you learned something about the postpartum period. Please feel free to share this episode with anybody you know who is pregnant or postpartum. And I hope that if this really resonates, you would take a minute to head over to iTunes and leave us a rating and review. It would help so much get the word out for the show and help other people find this episode in particular, which I think would be so helpful. And um, that would be great. So I appreciate you so much for listening, sticking around, and I hope you have a great rest of whatever day you're on, whatever journey you're following, and I wish you well. Bye.